0: Welcome to the Bible Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Dr. Douglas D. Stoffer. Dr. Stoffer currently serves as President of Key of Knowledge Ministries. He has thousands of hours teaching experience, 10 years serving in pastoral ministries, and has authored several books. One of Dr. Stoffer's most recent projects included his participation as Consulting Editor for Oxford University Press. He has also been the featured speaker on national and international radio broadcasts dozens of times. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com.
1: Turn to Colossians chapter 1. When somebody found out I was preaching, they said, don't give us a long commercial. So I won't give you a long commercial, but I will tell you that I have... uh, some new materials out. Some of you may not be familiar with it. I have the sixth DVD out, the fourth one on the King James Bible issue, and it's called the New King James Perversion. And most of my stuff deals with the NIV. The other three, salvation, deity, and the Roman Catholic influence behind the modern versions deal with the NIV. This one's the first one where I dealt specifically with the New King James and how it changes and aligns itself with, for instance, the Jehovah Witness Bible, which is the New World Translation. Uh, back on the back, we have a few prayer cards left. We're about out of these, probably have about 15 or 20 back there. There's also a track with my information on the back. It's a color track. You're welcome to get those back there. And also back there, there's about a dozen of these. These are dispensational calendars. Each month has a pretty nice picture, and it's got some things about dispensationalism in them. In them, I did about two weeks on the radio with that, ten broadcasts at the beginning of December, and uh, tried to raise funds for Southwest Radio Church. There are also two Bibles out there that are not for free. Don't take them. They're my only two that I have right now. That's the New Pilgrim Study Bible, Oxford University Press. I was the consulting editor on it. And you can just glance through there and see what you think about that. I've got three books coming out. C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. Some people ask me, you know, why do I do so much on the Passion movie, the Harry Potter movies, um, the Chronicles of Narnia, and things like that. The reason is, they're all interrelated. The new movie coming out in April that I'll probably look into next, and I've already done a PowerPoint presentation on it up in Columbus, Ohio, is The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code is probably the most blasphemous book you'll ever read. Mary Magdalene and Jesus were married. They had children. The Holy Grail is their offspring. It is really blasphemous. The thing is, if you'll listen to young people, what they'll tell you is, that's affecting me. They are starting to use these materials like that, and it is making them question what we call traditional Christianity, which let's use another word for it, biblical Christianity. In other words, if Jesus was married and he had children, then this story is false. And that's what the Da Vinci Code is doing. So, these aren't just sideline issues for me. They're things that I have a passion for. I believe that these things need to be pointed out. I believe it's all heading toward uh, one world religion, toward the end times. And that our next generation is really, really being affected by it. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3.9, the Bible says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll look at one verse there. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 3 who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank You for Your many blessings. I thank You for sending Your Son to die for our sins. I pray, Lord, that You would guide, lead, and direct. Lord, just put a watch over my mouth. Help me to say only those things that You have said. Lord, help me to glorify Thy Son. As you desire from each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Each one of those verses dealt with the Creator. The Creator. He's the creator of all things. I don't know how many of you got up here, but there's a recent thing today, New York Times. You can see the Pittsburgh Steelers win the Super Bowl, and there's a another thing over here about the terrorists have struck again. And way through the article says the driver is stuck in traffic jam on the highway. Nothing is moving. Suddenly a man knocks on the window. The driver rolls down his window and asks, what happened? Terrorists have kidnapped Hillary Clinton, Ted Kennedy, Jesse Jackson, and Al Sharpton. They're asking for $10 million ransom. Otherwise, they're going to douse them in gasoline, set them on fire. We're going from car to car, taking up a collection. The driver asked, what is the average amount that's being given? They said about a gallon. (laughs) I don't usually tell jokes. My kids tell me I need to tell a joke every now and then because I'm pretty serious. And boy, I had a hard time. My computer crashed. That was another thing I was into this week. My computer crashed. So I had a hard time getting all this together. The New York Times on the top of it. Some people never know whether I'm telling a joke anyway or not, so I figured if I just did that, you would not really know until the punchline came. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Each one of the verses that we looked at so far talked about Jesus Christ being the Creator. Colossians 1 said, By Him all things consist. Ephesians 3 said that God created all things by Jesus Christ, and that God shows His glory through the church. Hebrews 1 says, in verse 3, that He's upholding all things by the word of His power. Now, those talk about Jesus being the Creator. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, a verse that has changed my life says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I got asked today, well, you know, what is the purpose of life? If you're not enjoying life, what's wrong? I mean, if you're not having a good time, what's wrong? And, you know, I really didn't think about the answer to that, but really the answer is this. It doesn't matter whether you're having a good time or not. The key is this. If everything's made for God's pleasure, which is what that verse says, then everything we do should be pleasing to God. No matter what it is. for thy pleasure they are and were created. So what if you're just going through this life and just struggling and bumbling through it and everything, you're, you're, in, you're in misery? Well... You're not doing right, but the thing, the key is this. What's the purpose of life? To please God. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Why are you created? For his pleasure. Why am I created? For his pleasure. We were talking today, and it's interesting how everything works together. You know, somebody was saying, man, I used to like to go do this, and I don't do it anymore. And there's nothing wrong with it. It was, matter of fact, it was talking about skiing. I don't go skiing anymore. Well, there's nothing wrong with going skiing. I used to ski, believe it or not. I wouldn't dare try it today, but I didn't quit because I got old. I quit because I was out of time and every now and then I didn't like getting up the next morning hurting pretty bad. But you know what? So what if you have to give up some things for God? It's for His pleasure. That's why you're here. You're here for the pleasure of God. Look at the verse again. Look at it again. Verse 11, for thy pleasure they are and were created. Anything in your life that you analyze, you say, well, I go to work every day and I do this and I do... Well, are you pleasing God? That is the crux of all there is about life. For God's pleasure, we were created. So whatever God asks of you and whatever God asks of me, that's what we're supposed to do. We are for the pleasure of God. What if God puts something on you you say, I just can't take it anymore. Maybe it's your marriage. You're just having a hard time, husband and wife. Listen. You are here for the pleasure of God. What if you children? You say, I just young people. I just don't want to listen to my parents anymore. They don't understand me. We don't relate. Listen, it's your responsibility to please God. Pleasing God says honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So it doesn't matter how you feel about it. The thing is, is it pleasing to God? That doesn't mean we're doing everything pleasing to God. Don't look up here and think, I'm doing everything pleasing to God. I'm not. But whenever I come into focus, whenever God just comes right into focus, you know what I realize? Whatever it is, is it pleasing to God. That's all you have to ask yourself. Does this please God? I remember when I first started preaching, one of the questions I used to ask myself is, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And this is the same type thing, but now I've got a verse that I just live on. I've got this thing in my room, the kids' room. I mean, it's just that important. For His pleasure, we are and we're created. That's it. You want any answer to any question that you have? That's it. You say, well, I just, my marriage. For His pleasure, you are and we're created. What's pleasing to God? Husband, wife, mother, father, child, teenager, whatever it is, we are here for one purpose. Please, God. You say, well, I used to go out and I used to do these things. Man, I used to have a good time and get the buddies together. We used to drink, you know, if you go that far. We used to do that. We don't do it anymore. And I remember when that was fun. I remember we were in college and we were having fun. First of all, that's not fun. I remember I was in college. Secondly, what's it all about? we're here for God's pleasure. No matter what it is in your life that you or I struggle with, are we pleasing to God? That's all it boils down to. If you're not pleasing to God or I'm not pleasing to God, whatever whatever issue it is in our life, we have a responsibility to fix that and change that. Now, let me go on to the next verse. Actually, I meant to give this verse first. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, this was a verse that I, I used to always teach and say, this, was, this is the purpose of, of God. And it, and it correlates with Revelation 4.11. It says in Ephesians 1.12 that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. And if you look at the next verse, verse 13, one of the greatest verses on salvation, in whom ye also trusted, all the modern versions, by the way, take out trusted there, and, and I say all of them, the majority of them take it out, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you received that Holy Spirit of promise. What an amazing verse there. But look at verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. What's our purpose? To be to the praise of God's glory. Nothing else. You say, well, I had to give up so much to be a Christian. First of all, you didn't have to give up anything. What do you got to give up? you got to change your music. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, look, I don't listen to country music because I don't listen to country music. If I don't ever listen to it, I'm not going to have a problem with music. If I don't listen to country music, I don't listen to rock, I don't listen to rap. Why? Because I don't enjoy it? No! There's some good, good country songs. I suppose I don't listen to it. But they're out there. But I don't listen to it because I don't want to have to figure out where that line is. All I want to do is say, hey... Hymns are fine. One, one person was talking me and said, well, you know, they'll laugh at me if they find out I'm listening to that or that on the radio. I said, just turn off the stupid thing. Don't listen to anything. That's my solution. If you've got a problem with music or somebody's not going to like the type of music that your parents want you to listen to, don't listen to music. Why? Is it required we listen to music? Just cut it all out. Then you don't have to figure out where that line is. And you don't have to figure out how to get as close to it as you can. And not go over it. Because most of the time we're going to go over it anyway. Anything in our life. You say, well, what about my dress? Same thing. Same thing. If we'll just figure out how to please God and, and we are here for His glory, we won't have to worry about where to draw that line. We won't have to worry about that. Just get as far away from it as you can. We are here to praise God. That we should be to the praise of His glory. That's why we're created. That's why we're saved. The next verse goes into salvation. right there, that we should be to the praise of His glory. Why are we here to praise God? Why are we created? Revelation 4:11. We are created for His pleasure." He said, "Well, I'm just not enjoying the Christian life. A lot of this generation's not. And you know what, With all of these things they're being bombarded with, I'm telling you. There are some conflicting signals coming to our children. You look at television, television, everything is parental discretion. Parental discretion advised. If it says parental discretion, what it means, the parents ought not be watching it. So I didn't plan on saying anything about clothing, anything about music, anything about television. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is where I really wanted to spend the crux of the message. This is the Lord's Prayer. And we can learn a lot from the Lord's Prayer. In John 17 verse 1 it says this, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son also may glorify the. Now right after this he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, so right before the crucifixion. But notice what he says. He says, Father, the hour's come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. Do you know that if we'll keep that thought in mind, Lord, would you, would you help me in my life so that I can glorify you? Look at his prayer. If we'll just ask God about anything, And then turn around and say, Lord, my heart's purpose is to use it to glorify You. I think we'd be shocked what God will do for us and through us to enable us to bring about His glory and His honor. But we have to make sure our heart is like Jesus' heart there in verse 1. We're not going to be glorified like Jesus, like the verse says. But look at the principle of the thing. Look at what it says. It says right here, glorify thy Son, and look at his heart's purpose, that thy Son also may glorify thee. If we'll seek that as our purpose, if we'll truly get on our face before God and ask God to help us to glorify and honor and praise Him, I don't believe there's any limit to what God can do in and through us, whether it's individually or as a church. But our hearts have to be right. We can't, you know, we can't just pray and say, Well, God, if you'll just give me a new Cadillac, I'll serve you. I'll honor you with it. I'll go out and do this with it. No, come on. But how did he say this? Lord, help me to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they in turn can glorify thee. That'd be a good prayer. One that I need to pray, for sure. Sometimes you preach and you realize, hey, I've never prayed that. But that's what we need to do. We need to pray and say, God, would You just just put things in my life so I can in turn glorify Thee? Look at verse 2. As Thou hast given Him... Notice this, he's speaking not in the first person here. He says that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. And then he's speaking in the second person. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Notice verse 3, and this is life eternal. What's the definition of life eternal? That they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Paul said in Ephesians 1.7, he was praying that they would have the knowledge of Him. You know what life eternal is all about? Knowing God. The more we come to know God, the more we have life eternal here on this earth. The closer we come to knowing Him. How do you get to know God? You get into His book. You talk about it, you, you talk to Him. You do everything you can imagine. As our relationship here, how do you get to know a person? You talk to Him. How do you get to know God? You talk to Him. You read His book. You read His messages. And you get close to Him. And then you know what the Bible says? That's what life eternal is. In heaven, you know what we're going to know? We're going to get to know God. We don't know Him now. We don't understand Him now. He is infinitely beyond our comprehension. And all we can do, all we can do, take this book right here and get as close as we can get. You open up the book and you read it and you say, man, that's God. Is that what God wants out of my life? Yes, it is. Is that how God can use me? Sure it is. This is. I tell you what, this is the most encouraging letter ever written. When you read it, you study it, and you love it, and you live it. But if we set it aside and think, well, you know, we're in the 21st century and things are just going down so fast. Listen, I don't want to be without God today. Ten years ago, it was rough. Today... They're impossible. You can't keep your marriage together without Him. You can't keep your family together without Him. It's a struggle. It's a struggle every day. I can't believe where we are. Twenty. I got saved in 1980, 26 years ago, 25 and a half. Man, the change. The change here. The change in me. The change in you. And I'm not saying that it's all good either. We've gotten further away from God as a people. Overall, every one of us. You know what Revelation 4.11 does to me? When I read that verse and it says that I am created for His pleasure, that's like a shot in the arm. I start thinking, well, I'm here for His pleasure. What does anything matter except pleasing God? Nothing matters. Now, does that mean I spend my whole time pleasing God? I'm not telling you because you're a Christian, you can't enjoy things. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee. Look at what Jesus says. I have glorified thee on the earth. If we're not witnessing, if we're not busy talking to people about the Lord, what? if you're not in full-time ministry, if you're not a teacher in the school, if you're not a pastor, if you're not an assistant pastor, if you're not doing some of those things... It's hard to it's hard to, to, to look at it and say, Well, I go to work and I come home Monday through Friday, and then Saturday I you know I spend around the house and I do some work at the house, and Sunday I'm at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday I'm back at work. And it's hard to look at it and say, hey, this is this is what God's got in my life. Better make sure you got some spiritual in there. See, it's a lot easier for me, so to speak, because I don't go away to a job and spend all that time trying to make money in what we call a secular thing because then you get out of focus. If you, you know, you can't spend all your time at work talking to people about the Lord. You lose your job. You ought to. You know, if you spend all your time being paid to talk about the Lord like some of us have done, guilty as charged, way back when, you know, you ought to lose your job. You're there to get paid. So it's hard to delineate and say, hey, what am I doing for the Lord? You better figure out what it is. Let me tell you a couple things. If you got children, it could be raising children. That's a tremendous work for the Lord. Amen. really is. you got a wife. That's a tremendous work for the Lord. Spoken with all sincerity. If you have a husband, I guarantee you the easier you can make his life. No, I'm kidding. It's a tremendous work to vote. But I think we've got we to look at it and say, what is, what, where am I serving God? You can serve God in your marriage, in being a parent. And you know what, teenagers? You guys can serve God being who you are if you are who you should be. You can serve God, and you can say that's glorifying to God. But you got to be glorifying to God. You can't. You can look at you like, well, you know, I can't wait till I get eighteen and I can move out, and then I don't know. I'm not going to go to church. I, you know, I just don't listen, man. If you get out of church, you're getting out of something you're going to regret the rest of your life. I got out for three years, the worst three years of my life, even lost. Wasn't as bad as saved three years and out of church. You better be careful what you're thinking about and where you think you're heading. Young people, I know it's difficult. I know you've got peer pressure on you. I know that you've got, you, the, the, the norm is to go away from God and get as far away from God as you can get. But you know what? Man, if you could just stand up and say, hey, I am not going that way. I'm stopping here because I've already gone too far. And in fact, I need to go ahead and get on back over there. Like I was when I was in third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade. And I didn't care what anybody thought so much. Like you do whenever you're 16, 17, 18. And adults, it goes for us too. Whatever it is in your life that is stopping you from serving God or that is affecting your relationship with Him in a negative way, get it out of your life. As we say, turn over a new leaf. Get back to where you ought to be with Christ. Look at verse 4. He finished the work. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. There he's talking about restoration of eternal glory. Verse 6, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest Me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them Me, and they have kept Thy word. Verse 7, Now they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given Me are of Thee. For I have given unto them the words... "...which thou gavest Me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send Me." Notice He mentions the words there. You think about it. What's the greatest thing? If you've got some people given to you... By the way, if you have children, you've got somebody given to you. Jesus said, "...the ones you've given Me, I've given them your words." So how ought we to apply that? Well, the ones that God has given to us, we need to give them His words. Look at the next verse. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, "The ones you gave me, I prayed for them, and they." Glorify me. That's all we need to do. Glorify God. Find out how it is in our life that we can glorify God and get busy doing it. Listen, it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe, you know, I mean, if you're full time in the ministry here, then then you know what that might be. That might be teaching, that might be preaching, that might be teaching the Sunday school, that might be in the juvenile work. It might be in a lot of different areas. But listen, even if you're not in full-time ministry, there's so much that needs to be done. Things haven't decreased to where we don't have a need in Christianity for people to get busy and volunteer, and volunteer their time and their talents and their money. That need is even greater today. Because so many fewer people seem to really want to be involved getting harder not easier. But that doesn't relieve us of our responsibility. Verse 11, And now I am no more in the world. Even though He was there, He was, you know, he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, very shortly he would, he would be crucified and die. But these are in the world, and I am come to Thee, Holy Father. Keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are one. Talking about unity there that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest Me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to Thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have My joy fulfilled in themselves. You know that right there? Look at that. That we might have My joy. See, maybe we're defining things wrong. Maybe we're defining things as fun... Well, really, we need to think about the joy of the Lord. I'm not that interested in having fun. But I am interested in enjoying life. I am interested in having the joy of the Lord in my life and showing it to others because how do we convince people to be a Christian? Walk around and go, you need to get saved, you're going to go to hell. You know, and just have a real negative outlook on everything. We have a tendency to do that, by the way. And as time goes on, you continue to get negative. And you you look at me, I mean, you, you name it, it comes out, I do a video on it. I critique it. But I look at it and I say, hey, I've got to. I've got to warn people that, listen, this stuff is affecting not only you and I, but the next generation. And the next generation is being affected by it. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that we warn them about these traps that are set for them. These are the wiles of the devil. We're not to be ignorant of his devices. How do you become ignorant of his devices? You just close your eyes and say, "Hey, what will be will be? The world's going to hell. I mean, what can we do about it? Listen, you can do a lot. You can do a lot. Verse 15: "I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil, right there. Verse 15. Jesus didn't pray and say, take them out of the world. He said, keep them from the evil. That's what we need to pray. Lord, it's not necessarily you take me out. Keep me from the evil. Pray for your children, my children. Lord, you know, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil. Let them be blinded to it. Don't let them see it. You know, the Bible says sometimes our familiarity is is dangerous. All this television stuff that they're putting out there and the movies, and you just watch one advertisement for some of those scary movies today, I will never watch one of those because you don't know what you're getting in your mind. Oh, by the way, when they spend $200 million to make a movie like the Chronicles of Narnia, if Disney wants to put a thought in those children's minds. Do you think they can do it? Guarantee it. That really, it's just setting them up for the future. Because eventually, what's going to happen is that message is going to get is going to get worse and worse and worse. And C.S. Lewis, it'll shock you. It, the book's going to be 200 pages. We were we set out to do a 50-page book. After everything we found it's going to be well over 200 pages. Everything footnoted, everything documented, every one of his works has been checked directly. We're not doing secondhand stuff. I'm just telling you, I feel like I'm doing my job. I feel like I am doing what God has called me to do. People didn't like me saying anything bad about the Passion. I did a two-hour expose on it, and everybody that came out against me that saw what I did agreed with me. Bible-believing Christians that saw what I did, they agreed with me. When they originally said, "Hey, it's the it, you know it's gonna it, national revival's coming," you know, man, this is the next. Wait a minute, where is it? And this Chronicles of Narnia, man, it's just the greatest witness tool. In the, did you see what the if, if you went, did you see what the lion was killed on? Stonehenge, the Rock. It was pagan. Even the tool, the knife used, was a pagan tool that was used. And by the way, C.S. Lewis was a pagan. Yeah, he may have been a Christian, but he's so vague, he, he, he waffles back and forth. in had a literary degree. He knew what to say, whatever he needed to say, whoever his audience was at the time. And he spoke out of both sides of his mouth like a double, double-minded man. Hey, he's unstable. Smoked. chain smoker. Drank heavily. Used to have... Oh, you know who his best friend was who led him to the Lord? Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, a Catholic, led him to the Lord. They were the best buds. They, they had a group called the Inklings. Listen, the only reason I'm getting into this right now is because some of you seem like you're shocked out there that I would even mention anything negative about this movie that's going to lead everybody to the Lord. Listen, it came out of Disney. Disney's pagan. Disney said, "I do, we don't want it to be a Christian film. And, it, and the producer said it's not. In fact, The director was Lewis, I mean, the co-producer was Lewis's stepson, Gresham, and he said, he talked about churches in America, and he said, they're just full of bull. And he said it twice in one interview with Christianity Today. Of course, until they hired their consulting team to tell them how to speak, and then he said it was the Holy Ghost that was leading the whole thing. When you put both of them in one book, one right after the other, then you decide. Same thing they did with The Passion. You know what Mel Gibson said? The Holy Ghost is in charge of this film. We're just directing traffic or something to that effect. He said on the 700 Club. Why would he speak of the Holy Ghost on the 700 Club? Because they had a marketing firm. The same marketing firm for The Passion was hired by Disney to market and they spent $50 million marketing that film. They sent four hundred thousand or 40,000 packages to Uh, churches to youth pastors at churches. Did you get one? We must not be on that list. Praise God. Oh, we did get it. 40,000 packages. It's pagan. I mean, Stonehenge, where where pagan sacrifices were done. I, I had to go. I got a headache going to that movie. I could, I mean, I'm sitting there like this. I've got a microphone and I'm going, oh man, I'm just, this is killing me. It actually was killing me. I don't know whether it was just, you know, all the lights or that or, you know, and and they have subliminal messages in it. And I'll give you one just in case you ever see it. Let me go ahead and give you one that's not even going to be in the book. When the lion is killed, the lion is on the stone. And it's a top view. And the little girl comes up and she's hugging the lion. The little girl has a bright red dress on. And when you see... When you see the picture from up high, your mind automatically says that's blood flowing down those steps from that line. But they couldn't put the blood in there because it's a PG movie and not PG-13. If they put any blood in it, it would have been a PG-13. They'd have lost some sales. Your mind, because Disney wanted it that way, says that's blood. And then when you zoom in, it's the child with the dress. But what does it matter what it really is? What matters is what your mind picks up. Our minds are powerful, and the devil knows that. And the devil is just bombarding us with subliminal messages all the time. I could show you some things that would just blow you away, and, and, and it's there. It's everywhere. And like I said, that's not even going to be in the book. That's a moot point. Because, you know, they got subliminal messages and all that stuff all the time. But let me get back to the message. Verse 16, and let me rush, I'm going 16 through a few more. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. I won't even comment on that because I want to get to verse 20. As Thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify Myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. You see that? First of all, He said back there in verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. And then in verse 20, He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but He prayed for all those that would come after. You know what I believe? I believe that's us. I believe Jesus right there is praying for us because we came after them. I believe Jesus is praying for all those. Whether that Word came from the Apostle Paul through the Scriptures or whether it came from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I believe He's praying for all those that would believe in their Word. And that's all-inclusive. I believe Jesus right there is praying for us. And we're to be sanctified through the Word. Sanctified, set apart. Now I know I got off on a tangent, but I want you to, I want you to think about that verse Revelation 4:11. Let's go back there. We need to pray for this next generation. And when this movie comes out on Da Vinci Code, it's the most blasphemous book. I don't read books that are nonfiction, but I read that one because everybody was asking me. Number one bestseller for all those weeks. I read that book and I was just and I was asked then to speak on it, and I was shocked, absolutely shocked. And there are there are literally millions of people that believe that book more than they believe this book right here. And it's affecting people. It's affecting the next generation. It's affecting them. In verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's it. Crux of life. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Please God. Because God says right there, For Thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created for the pleasure of God. Now all we have to do in our life is find out, Lord, how do I please You? How do I make sure that my life is pleasing to You? We'll ask ourselves that on everything we do. That doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean you won't fail God. It doesn't mean you won't make great blunders. I've made great blunders. I regret them. I regret him greatly. I regret how my life hasn't always been effective and affecting others in a positive fashion. But what kind of God do we have? We have a merciful God. We have a gracious God. He can look at us in our worst moments and say, hey, get up off your feet, pull you up by the bootstraps and get you back on track. That's what He'll do. He'll do that for any of us. He'll do that for the young people, the not so young, the in-between, wherever you are. I started thinking about it this morning. I'll be 47 at the end of the month. I said, man, the first time this morning I thought about 50. I never thought I'd be here. I'll be 50 years old in, in three years. Three years. Wow. Some of you, you know, I mean, when when I was, when I was young, 30 was old. I got 30, I didn't think it was old. I got 40, I thought I was a little bit older. I got 47 coming up. I'm feeling a little bit older. I get up, my bones don't move as fast as I'd like them to. Or they don't get into the joints quite right. Let's stand together.
0: If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.McCowanMills.com. That is C -C O W E N. M-I-L-L-S dot com, or through the mail at P.O. Box 1611, Millbrook, Alabama, 36054, or by calling 334 285 Orders can be placed online or by calling toll-free at one 344 1611